Let's take our Bibles together and let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first, uh, the first half of one sentence. So that might be a little strange for us, uh, but we're just going to read the first half of the sentence. Uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse 9, and we'll read through verse 14. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And that is indeed just the first half of one sentence. So maybe you understand now why I'm not going to preach one whole sentence. Sometimes Paul has sentences that just go on and on and on. And you'll notice that each verse, at least in my Bible, it ends with a, uh, either a semicolon or a colon. Um, but uh, I think that's enough material to, to speak to in just one morning. Paul's been um, speaking to the saints who are in Colossae, who are in Christ. Uh, he's heard about their faith and their hope, um, and that uh, they're bringing forth fruit, and he's excited about it. And in verse 9, Colossians chapter 1, and verse 9, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful of every good in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers in, of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We're thankful for uh, the opportunity to study your word together. And I pray that you'd help me as I preach your word, that you would um, make your word quick and powerful, that it would speak to our hearts, that it would um, convict us, illuminate us. And teach us, Lord, and transform us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul has uh, expressed in the beginning his, his, his thankfulness to God for this church that he's heard about but has never been to. So he's, he, while he evidently, while he was preaching in Ephesus, this church was founded about 90 miles away, I think, um, in Colossae. He'd never, never been there before, but he's written a letter to this church uh, I've spoken to you about how there's, there's discussion about what this church is facing um, because there's different hints that are dropped that maybe uh, it's facing some persecution and some difficulty. But in spite of all that, Paul's excited because this is a group of saints who are in Colossae, but they're in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and the fact that they're in Christ changes everything. And last week I spoke to you about how um, he is... Uh, excited because of the hope that's laid up for them. These people have a, a hope and their faith is growing and bringing forth fruit. And at the reason why Paul is filled with hope and encouraged about the church is because he knows that it's not just resting in the, um, the, the faith of these, this handful of believers in Colossae, but it's rooted 
in the very person and sovereignty of God, the person of Jesus Christ and what He's accomplished in them and for them. Uh, And now Paul, because he recognizes that it is a sovereign act of God who started this church and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone for this church, he says, I've been praying for you. I pray for you constantly. Ever since I first heard of you, I've been praying and I am hungering, I'm praying and desiring that you would be filled with knowledge of His will. Uh, we live in a, in a culture that kind of um, simultaneously elevates knowledge to a, um, an education to uh, almost an inordinate degree because uh, we think about how a, a world that is so filled with experts and we feel like knowledge is the cure to everything. Scientific knowledge is just the cure for everything. Um, so when we read this this morning, and Paul is praying that they would be filled with knowledge, it's easy for us to react to, uh, especially an elite knowledge-based kind of orientation in the world, a world that says what matters is whether you have a Ph.D., or an MD or, or uh, an MDiv, and those are the really smart people. Um, however many letters you have after your name, that's how we equate your value. We can respond to that, and I've, I've recognized, even in the church, it's easy for us to go, it doesn't matter what you know, all that matters is that you know Jesus, that you're serving Jesus. And of course, there's a sense where that's true, isn't it? There's a sense where it's true that the most important thing the only thing that will matter in, in eternity or the, the, the primary thing that will matter in eternity is your relationship to Jesus. But Paul says it's more than just uh, a relationship to Jesus that's outside of me, but it's the fact that I'm in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, that's going to result in knowledge. Now, there are some Bible teachers that look at this passage and they, they believe that the church at Colossae was dealing with a... Um, uh, something that we call Gnosticism now, a, a particular cultic idea of knowledge that said it's not enough just to be in Christ. What you need are secret initiation rites and and uh, a special. It was almost like a like a, a a lodge kind of idea, like a secret lodge, like to join our church. See, at our church, it's not just about um, you know going to the altar and praying and giving your life to Jesus. No, 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 no. It's about learning the secrets of what it means to to have um, spiritual wisdom. And we don't just share those spiritual wisdom secrets with just anybody. Those are are special things that only, only the elite people get to find out about. And Paul is combating that but in a unique way. He says this, his prayer is that they would be filled with knowledge. But remember I said that, that what some of the churches at least were facing was something called Gnosticism. But Paul uses a different word here. when he, The word Gnostic means to know, to know things. Uh, by the way, the word agnostic means to not know. So we see where that, that Greek word uh, gnosis but Paul uses a slightly different word or a form of that word um, here when he says he's praying that they'll be filled with knowledge. And it's the intensive form. It's the idea that to be in Christ is to know him intimately and not simply intellectually. Not just to learn about him, 
but to actually come to know Him for ourselves. Um, we live in like an era of paparazzi and, um, uh, and voyeurism and social media and a saturation of Wikipedia and Google and everything that goes along with that. Are you following me? The idea is I can pull my phone out of my pocket and learn so much about someone. Um, but it's, it's funny because knowing about someone or reading their Wikipedia page or scrolling through their social media, do you actually get to know people that way? Is that a good way to get to know people? Do you think that's the way you learn what people are like? Afraid not, right? I've told you all the story about my friend that went viral, right? I've, I've told it in Bible study and we've been sitting around talking before, but my brother um, works worked with a guy. I guess the guy's kind of working on his own now and, and he's just doing construction part-time uh, because of the story that I'm getting ready to tell you. But Aaron Gray, is just a, he's just a good guy, uh, fun to work with. He and I, in fact, worked just the two of us on a job one time and talked all day, just visited. He's just a regular fella. Um, and every day, Josh and Aaron uh, would, when they were finishing up the day and cleaning up, they would pull out their phone and do a little Facebook Live of a song. They would just sing a song together. Now, I told you that he's a contractor. He's a, he's a construction worker. Um, but there's something else he is. He comes from a family of singers, really gifted singers. They're talented. And, um, and Aaron can really sing. And Josh comes from a family of singers as well, Josh Arnett. So Josh and Aaron come in to sing. Well, it's kind of a unique look that these two guys that just look like good old boys, contractors, nail belt, you know, tool belt around their waist, um, in an obvious construction zone, um, are singing and they're pretty good at it, really good at it. And there was a third guy on the job and they called him in there and said, hey, come in and sing this with us. So that night, as they're closing up for the night and buttoning things up, they sing How Great Thou Art. I think it's the song that they sang, just the three of them. And uh, hit send, and, and whenever they would do that, I think 30, 40, 50 people or whatever, friends of theirs would, would watch, maybe a couple hundred, I'm not positive exactly how many, but just a handful of different friends would watch it. Um, when my brother came to work the next day, uh, there was um, uh, Aaron and, and Josh, and Aaron said, hey, Micah, come here and take a look at this. And when, when they pulled up the video, um, Micah said there were already like maybe 900,000 views or something, and it was going up by thousands as they were watching. It had gone viral. Everybody got to see it. But it's kind of funny because now, by now, uh, my friend Aaron has been on Fox and Friends. He's, he's sung in New York City in the studios. Uh, he's gone a lot of places. And thousands, even millions of people have gotten to see Aaron Gray sing. But the difference is I actually know Aaron. I've met him in person. I've, I've sat and talked to him uh, at more than one job, in fact. Um, and there is such a big difference, isn't there, between just knowing about someone or seeing the image that they project or their social media or, uh, or Googling them and actually knowing them. And that's what Paul wants these people to understand, that this is not about some secret knowledge. It's not some initiation ceremony, but it's about being in Christ and as a result of being in Him to actually come to know Him in a real and intimate way. And Paul's prayer is that these people would be filled with knowledge. Now, this knowledge is not simply 
an anti-intellectual knowledge, like as if it's just a mystical, touchy-feely kind of knowledge. Paul is speaking in, in terms of actually coming to know concrete things about Jesus. What we know about God, what we know experientially will, will uh, affect the character of our entire life. Think about the words of the proverb in Proverbs 1-7 where, where uh, the writer says, The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. And that tells us that, that knowing God is foundational to our fear of God to come to truly know Him is going to affect our lives. Because if we look at, uh, for instance, Psalm 119, the, our relationship to God's Word and to God's law is based on our fear of the Lord. And not a craven fear. Not an not a, not a unhealthy terror that's, that arises out of our guilt. But instead, a holy fear that comes of knowing God. The scripture describes what, what happens when people don't know God. And Romans chapter 1, the whole chapter um, centers around people that, this, the way Paul puts it, he said, they didn't want to retain their knowledge of God. They, they didn't want to know about God. They had no desire to come to know Him. They had, they had uh, pushed God out of their um, of their assessment of the world, of, of the things that they thought were important. And as a result of that, they are overtaken with sin and evil and wickedness because they don't know God. And Paul here says um, that he wants the opposite for this church in Colossae. He wants them to be filled with their knowledge of God's will, their wisdom, and their spiritual understanding. The, the Holy Spirit is only referred to one time in the whole book of Colossae, which is kind of interesting, the whole letter to the Colossians. It's in verse 8. Um, they, they have love in the Holy Spirit. But here, Paul says that he wants them to be filled with a spiritual understanding. So it's, it's not simply an intellectual understanding, but it's, it is also an understanding that arises out of spiritual enlightenment, the fact that the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and our mind. I was just speaking to somebody either uh, earlier this week or possibly last week, um, and I was talking to them about how some people have, they, they speak of how we can't understand God's Word without, um, without the Holy Spirit. And that's true. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I can't learn about His Word from simply reading and, and studying it in... Uh, the same way I would study another book. There are people that don't even serve God, that study God's Word in an academic context. But the spiritual truths of God's Word, my eyes will be blind to. And what I need for understanding, if I'm going to understand God's Word, if I'm going to come to know Him, I need two things. I need His Word written in a language that I can understand and people that can teach me God's Word, but then I also need that inner spiritual enlightenment that only comes through God's Holy Spirit when He, when he opens our eyes and helps our minds to grasp truths that the Scripture says that the natural man is blind to the things of God. But what is so unique about this knowledge that Paul wants them to be filled with 
is that it's not simply a head knowledge or even just a relational or a spiritual knowledge. That the unique, the special thing about this knowledge is that it has results. It, there's something that flows out of this knowledge. Look at what it says. He says, at verse 9, he's prayed since the day he first heard of them and he learned of their faith that they would be filled. Um, that he's desiring that they be filled with knowledge and spiritual understanding of God's will. And the reason, the result of that, what he wants to flow out of that knowledge of God's will is for them to walk worthy of the Lord to all pleasing. Or as another, as another translation put it, let's see here. I'm sorry. Uh, that, the, that the way that they walk in their day-to-day lives would please God, would honor God, and would reflect their knowledge of God. Have you ever met somebody that you assumed, uh, as you got to know them, that they knew nothing about church or God or the Bible uh, because of the way they lived, the way that they talked every day, um, the way that they interacted with other people? You just assumed they didn't know. And then one day you were able to have a conversation with them or they made a statement that let you know, oh, they actually know quite a bit about God. You ever had that happen? I've had that happen before where I never would have dreamed maybe they were raised in a pastor's home or, uh, or they went to a Bible school or, or whatever, their situation, but, but their life no longer reflects that knowledge at all. Now, Scripture tells us that when somebody does that, their minds actually become dark to spiritual truths. So there comes a moment where they actually don't understand anymore. They don't know certain things. But they at least know them intellectually, they, they, or they knew them at one point. And what's happened in their lives is because they knew things and then they stopped obeying those things, then they no longer knew them anymore. So Paul says, I want you to know to be filled with knowledge so that you can walk worthy of uh, that knowledge, to, to walk worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all that you do. Uh, as one translation says, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. There's a parallel to this in Philippians. Remember? In the early verses of Philippians chapter 1, when Paul says that, that he wants them to be able to approve the things that are excellent, being filled with knowledge. He wants them to learn to know, but not just so their heads will be filled, but so that their lives will be transformed. Now, this kind of speaks to me because I'm somebody that likes to learn things for the sake of learning things. My wife makes fun of me and teases me a little bit because I am the like the source of useless trivia. Um, so I like to learn random facts. And the response of probably most of you when somebody gives a random fact about something that matters squat uh, is to, like, what difference does that make in my life, right? How does this make any difference? Um, And sometimes we can approach theology and learning of God and His Word in that same way. And that, the temptation then, I was listening to somebody just on the way here on a, a podcast about the Bible. They were saying that when they were growing up, Um, when they were raised in church, they pretty much ignored everything in the Bible except the epistles. Um, Now, I want to show you something. They were talking about this right there on the 
on the episode, um, they were mentioning how small the epistles, how much, how little space the epistles actually take up. So let me show you here. This is the epistles. This this little sliver of pages is all the epistles. And the reason was because in their mind, these letters of Paul and James and the letter of the Hebrews, of John and Peter, they're the places where the word of God is applied. The stuff that actually relates to my life day to day. All the other stuff doesn't, if it doesn't affect my day to day life, who cares? Right? Wrong, right? Because all of it, in fact, the scripture, the whole Bible was given to us as God's word to transform and change us. And I think it's a, it's a messed up, broken way of approaching God's word to assume that if it doesn't say you and it doesn't apply to my life right here and right now, I just don't even worry about it. No, because Paul says it's as we're filled with the knowledge of God that we walk in a manner worthy of God in a way that pleases Him and our lives are transformed. We're actually to grow in our knowledge of God. So Paul is actually concerned that these people not just say, well, I got saved and that's all, but that they be constantly learning and growing He's, he's picturing them in other passages as if they're like a tree that's sinking roots down deep into God's Word so they learn of God. What does Psalm 1 say about the man that's blessed? It says that he doesn't walk in the, uh, the, the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. But he delights in God's law and he meditates in God's law day after day, every day. The word for meditation um, if I understand right, that, that word for meditate in Psalm 1 is related to the word for um, an animal chewing its cud. So it's the idea of not just, not just snarfing stuff down and, well, I got the fuel that I need. Um, some of us kind of approach food like that, like just, you know, I got it eaten and it's, I'm good. But we actually know now that, you know, that's not a healthy way to eat. Do you know that it's an unhealthy relationship to food when food just becomes something that you just, you know, gobble, gobble, gobble. And uh, we can do that and get by with it, but there are some animals that if they did that, they would die. And so when, when David writes in Psalm 1, or when the, the psalmist writes in that first psalm that we are to meditate in God's Word day after day, the idea is that if we're going to truly be fed by God's Word, it won't be because we just... Uh, that we just snarf down a couple of chapters or a couple of verses, that it'll be because we took God's word and we digested it, we chewed on it, we ruminated over it until it became a part of who we are. And as this, uh, uh, the, the psalm, Psalm 1 says, that the one who does this, that meditates day and night in God's word, is like a tree planted by water that brings forth fruit in season. Remember that James or that Paul in Colossians chapter 1 has just talked about this. He said that he is excited because he says that um, that it's bringing forth fruit. Uh, I'm sorry, you've heard of the um, in verse 6. He says this gospel has come to you and the gospel is bringing forth fruit. Now If a seed 
is going to bring forth fruit, if, it, if, if a seed is going to bear fruit, think about all the work that goes into getting a seed to bring fruit. Anybody, have you ever raised a garden? I know Brother John and, and Sister McGovern, when I've been over there, you all raise gardens. And, and if you're raising a garden, do you just go out there someday on, in the side yard all covered in grass and just kind of toss some garden seeds out there and just hope that something grows up? I can tell you what you'll have if you do that. You'll have what we did, what we got in our raised bed. We, we grew, we put some plants, some seeds in there, and then we got so busy that we weren't able to stay on top of it. And when we came out, we weren't able to hardly find any of the plants that we had planted. It was mostly just weeds. So if seeds are going to bring fruit, now the power isn't in my effort, right? The, the power is actually in the seed. The transforming... Uh, the transformation that's going to happen is going to be in this seed. But in order for the seed to bring fruit, I'm going to have to do something. So I'm going to have to till up the soil so that it's soft. I'm going to have to water. I'm going to have to remove all the uh, plants that would, that would like to take over that nice soft earth that I've just fertilized. And I'm going to have to tend over that plant. But if I'll pay attention to that part, the fruit will naturally be born. How do I apply that to my life? As I meditate in God's Word, as I learn God's Word, and as I obey God's Word, so I'm walking pleasing, as I'm learning and coming to know about God's Word, my life is being transformed and bringing forth fruit. Um, The author, whose name right now escapes me, but the title of the book is uh, Out of the Salt Shaker into the World. And the author said in that book that when she would have a, um, a student come back from a seminar or a, uh, a retreat, a convention, and she'd say, did you learn anything? And they'd say, oh, you should see, I filled a notebook with notes of all the things that I learned. She said, don't show me your notebook. If you really learned anything, I'll be able to watch and I'll see it in your life. Scripture tells us that knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies us. So, when we, when we speak of that, I think when Paul says that, he's not saying, he's not saying uh, in one passage, oh, you should learn and know, and another passage, oh, you shouldn't learn and know. He's speaking about what kind of things we know. And as we know God better, we learn to love Him and love others more deep, deeply. As we grow spiritually, look at verse 11. He's concerned that they learn in their heads that they apply it in their lives, that they be strengthened with might according to His glorious power. You know what you'll find as you study and learn God's Word? You're going to find uh, three, at, at least three categories of things in your, in, as you study God's Word. The first thing you're going to find is things that don't make sense. All right? And in order to, to understand them, we need to be taught we need to study. Sometimes, sometimes I get help reading good Bible teachers explaining what verses mean or listening to a good teacher explain God's Word. So that's the first thing, is things that you don't understand. But the second category is things that you wish you didn't understand. There's, there's things that you go, oh, I can do this, but I don't want to. And then the third category are things that you say, I don't even know how I would accomplish what this verse says I'm supposed to do. 
And the reason is because God's word and the morals and ethics that he calls us to are not just, are not just human capability to its best. No, it has to be, our lives have to be filled and saturated with the Holy Spirit or we can't live a life that pleases God. And so when he comes to this verse, verse 11, he's, he's, it's progressive because by this point he says, I want you to be strengthened with might, all might, according to his glorious power. So in other words, I'm praying that you'll reach a point in your own spiritual development that you'll learn things that you don't have the strength to apply to your lives and you cry out for the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, there's a story about a guy that's trying to paint a fence, kind of like um, Mark Twain, you know, painting his fence, or Tom Sawyer, I'm sorry, Tom Sawyer painting the fence, and he's got a, a, a worn-out paintbrush that's only got like six bristles in it. And a, a fellow walking by says, man, if you would get a brush, a good brush, you could do twice as, twice as much work. And he looks up and said, yeah, but I don't have twice as much work to do. Right? He says, why do I want a bigger brush? Because I just have this amount of work. That's somebody that is not taking pride in their work, that isn't genuinely motivated to excellence in their work. Paul says, I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to be filled with, with this knowledge so that you walk in a way that's worthy and pleasing to God. And I want you to be filled with strength according to God's glorious power. So you come to a moment where you recognize, in my own strength, there's no way that I can do what God is asking me to do. So I fall on my face and I cry out to God, help me to live this kind of life. Transform and change me. Not just once or twice, but over and over again through our lives. That has to be our prayer. Patience, long-suffering, joyfulness, and then our hearts are filled with thanksgiving. Because as God transforms us, we are grateful. We recognize that it's not a product of ourselves. It's a product of God's goodness and his power working in us. And he closes out this, it, the, the, the verse, it's so hard to stop any particular place because the, uh, the poetry flows from Paul's pen. Giving thanks to the Father, he has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Did you notice that? It's probably easy to miss when I read it like it says here. He has made us meet to be partakers. And you're like, meet to be partakers. But the word meet there, it means fitness. It's the idea of fit. Like when the scripture says that, that uh, God gave uh, Adam uh, a helper, um, a, uh, Eve, he gave her a help meet for her. Um, a lot of times we use, especially in weddings, maybe unhelpfully use the phrase help meet. As a word, like he gave her a help meet. He gave him a help meet. Um, but it actually is a help meet. In other words, a helper that's fitted to him. So what this passage says is that God has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. This is speaking of the personal transformation that happens through our knowledge of God. We don't get up every day and say, you know, I know I'm still the same filthy, dirty, rotten sinner I've always been, but thank God for grace. No. What we say is that He has made us fit. He has transformed us. The soil of our lives has been prepared by the Spirit of God and the Word of God has taken root in our life and it's bearing forth fruit. 
It's being transformed and changed. He, he's delivered us from the power of darkness. He has translated us into his kingdom, uh, in the kingdom of his son. And he, the same phrase that he's begun with, now he's going to end with. Remember when we were looking at the verse 2 when he says this is to the saints that are in Christ in Colossae? And how we talked about how important it is to be in Jesus. Not just to, um, not just to have forgiveness or to have Jesus in our hearts. But the idea of being in Christ means that all of our lives are saturated and surrounded by the identity and reality of the person of Jesus, the the risen Son of God. He ends by saying that it's in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Our sins are forgiven. We don't live uh, bound by and bent under the load of guilt that we carried. We are now transformed into the kingdom of His Son. We're growing in knowledge And not just a head knowledge, not a haughty knowledge, but instead a humble knowledge. A knowledge of who we are and who God is. A knowledge that transforms us, that helps us to, like a tree, sink our roots deep into God's word. And then as fruit is born in our lives, it changes the world around us. It affects and flavors everything in our lives because of God's word bearing fruit in our lives. God help us to truly be transformed by this word, to allow the word of God to work its its power out, to be filled with this power, to be filled with the spirit of God so that we can walk in a way that pleases God. Amen. So that God has made us uh, fit to be partakers of the inheritance. The inheritance uh, that Jesus um, is that is owed to Christ because of his, his, his uh, divinity. As the Son of God, God has said he's giving him all creation, and you and I are joint heirs with Christ. And someday we'll see um, the glory of Jesus revealed and the transformation of new creation and an eternal reward if we are willing to, in the here and now, in these moments right here and now, willing to live a life that pleases and honors God through the power of the Holy Spirit.
that I 